Global Bitcoin Fest. Celebrate Bitcoin adoption with Bitcoin communities worldwide. Welcome to Global Bitcoin Fest and Lebanon. We're meeting the Lebanese Bitcoin community today. Super excited about this space. I've been wanting to travel to Lebanon for many years already. And before this space, we saw some pictures of Lebanese nature that uh, Marco, our co-host today, was so generous to share. And it looks absolutely stunning. I want to go there. I want to eat the avocados that Marco is growing in his private farm. I want to, yeah, I want to experience that nature and see all that culture. And today we're going to hear more about it. Global Bitcoin Fest, we're a group of plebs. We started back in 2021 by giving away free sats to people in Latin America and different countries. We started with El Salvador. We, then we went to Mexico, Cuba, Venezuela, and uh, we did it all in Spanish. Then we had a small chat group in Twitter. And one day, one guy suggested, hey, let's do a 24-hour non-stop Twitter space to celebrate the adoption of Bitcoin in El Salvador uh, on the 7th of September, the day when the Bitcoin law went live. We had six days to prepare this and we didn't have a name, we didn't have a concept, we didn't have guests, nothing. And it was quite hectic next six days and we managed to pull it off and it was a really, really awesome experience having all these maxis join us from all over the world, share their experiences from over 18 countries. If I don't misremember, Darwin was my co-host and we were working like crazy trying to make everything work. So. Yeah, we decided after that experience, let's do this every week and interview one country every week. So Bitcoiners from one country every week hear their stories, hear their experiences, hear what's happening on the ground. And we've almost covered 50 countries now. And uh, every week we learn something new, very interesting about what people are doing in their country. And today, again, we're meeting the Lebanese Bitcoin community. I'm super, super stoked to talk to you guys today. And before we kick it off, we're going to listen to a song. And the song is Ya Vled by Tanya Saleh. Tanya Saleh is known for her social and political commentary with many of her songs addressing issues such as war, corruption, and this was a song selected by our friend Marco. Wow. 
Wow, lots of power in that song. Hey, Marco, do you want to add something? A uh, little backstory to the to the song itself. The the singer, she I kind of sings for the class to the students, and she's expressing how she's tired and sick of their mess and her and and, and all the thing they're trying to do in the class. They're the mischief. Indirectly, she's trying to say that you know it's the government who is being a mischief, and 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 everyone is sick of uh, what they're trying to do. Yeah. It's a commentary on the political situation in Lebanon, I guess. Yes, exactly. That's what I was trying to say. It's all about the Lebanese, you know, the government, how bad it is and how they're misbehaving. Okay. Thank you very much, Marco. I look forward to the other songs I've been listening before this space. And uh, the vibes are awesome in these songs. So... I'm Lucas, and today I'm your co-host from Globe Bitcoin Fest, and I started with uh, Bitcoin back in 2013. Not really Bitcoin, you know, I heard about Bitcoin, but then I thought, it's too expensive. Why not buy Litecoin? Why not buy something even cheaper? Why not buy Feathercoin? And uh, then I forgot about it for four years, and uh, 2017, it was time for the bull run and um, I got kicked out of my company and I looked into Bitcoin once again. And this time I actually bought some Bitcoin and I thought, okay, I'll be at least 50% in Bitcoin. And then what happened was that the block size war started getting really heated. I got really confused and I went all in on shit coins, an index of 100 shit coins. And uh, then everything crashed and I was hodling all the way down, 98% minus. And I sold at the very bottom, lost everything. And it was a terrible experience. So I didn't want to touch any of that until 2020. I sold the company that I started back in uh, 2010. And I had to think of how to save responsibly, looked at stock, bonds, gold, uh, and all kinds of different assets and concluded that everything looks manipulated. I can't determine what should be what. And really, uh, strangely, it seemed like Bitcoin was the only safe store of value. So uh, I started tiptoeing back into Bitcoin. And in 20, early 2021, I hung out here in spaces, got my head bashed in by great maxis like you guys, and uh, I became a maxi as well. And then started doing these spaces. I'm building a email client as well that simplify for really busy people that get a lot of email. I'm going to try to build in some Bitcoin features as well so that uh, we can orange pill people that aren't orange pilled when they see Bitcoin all the time when they're emailing. And that's me. Let's uh, start with... Uh, our guest, Marco, can you share uh, about yourself? Oh, sure. Uh, my story is pretty much generic when it comes to, to Bitcoin. I, I've discovered the crypto space back in 2017. My cousin was all hype, you know, like you have to go into that. You know, it's easy money, <laughs> right? And of course, uh, I was the lucky one who bought at the very top of 2017. I think it was like nineteen seven hundred or $600,000. I, I really timed the talk, which is... Stunning. But of course, I, I had to move. Uh, of course, I moved to shitcoins. I bought some XRP and, 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 and then I fell in love with those tiny gems, small caps. I became so involved in some of those projects that I became like the moderator and uh, part of the community lead inside those communities. Of course, it took me a while to be orange built. And luckily, I discovered, of course, the, the Bitcoin standard and I fell down the rabbit hole. And since then, I've been you know, it gulping up all the kind of knowledge, economics, everything has to do with freedom. 
And here I am basically in, in, in making it, trying to make it to short the story long because it's pretty much generic, as I said. But back in 2019, I figured that when we, when we hit the crisis, that we need something, uh, I need to give back to the community. And that's when I uh, opened up and I founded Bitcoin du Liban, which is the biggest and the only uh, Bitcoin educational community in Lebanon. And here we are. Whoop, whoop. Did you know that Safe was Lebanese when you picked up the Bitcoin standard? Actually, well, I thought he was Lebanese. And I found out he's, he's not Lebanese. He's kind of half Lebanese. He's Palestinian from Jordan. But he lived most of his life in education in Lebanon. He was teaching in, in the Lebanese university. So, uh, yeah, I, I didn't know that back then, actually. And later on, it's actually a funny story. I've messaged him a few times and I was like, man, I discovered this amazing, uh, this amazing altcoin is going to be new Bitcoin. And he's like, shut up. He just blocked me at some point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I had to redeem myself, but, but it's good. We're, we're fine. We're fine now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you very much, Marco, for bringing everybody today. Um, it's uh, a great crew. Uh, Suli, my man, long time no see since the Angola space. True, true. Hi, Lucas. Uh, hi, everyone. Uh, I'm Suli. Uh, basically, my story uh, starts in 2016, uh, just getting, uh, like, playing around with traditional finance and, uh, like, what you shared, basically, stocks, bonds, etc. And then this is where you, when you're, like, a... <laughs> Shitcoin are trying to, like, if you think you're trading, you start like following the news and Bitcoin started picking up on my kind of radar 2016, started shitcoinery uh, 2017 to 2019. Just by the time of the crisis, uh, by then I was already using my Lebanese bank account to empty my bank account from Lebanon to buy shitcoins and Bitcoin. But that helped me a lot to really dodge the bullet uh, of the crisis um, and then 2020 just started uh, discovering how come this thing is like the the true thing and everything else is a scam i met marco 2020 and other lebanese uh, maxis ever since this is uh, it's only bitcoin uh, my fiat job allows me to travel around um, different countries so i've been taking advantage of that since 21 to start doing Bitcoin advisory for uh, family offices, high net worth individuals and institutions. And here I am. That's it. Thank you, Suli. And Saeed. Hello, everyone. I will tell you a little bit about my background. I have a double diploma in civil engineering and international business engineering from Lebanon and France. And uh, since then, I, I didn't work in engineering. I have been working in my family business, which is a gold refinery. So I'm into the old store of value gold before being into Bitcoin. I'm now a Bitcoin advocate and have been one for many years now. In fact, I gifted Bitcoin as a return gift via Lightning at my wedding two years ago. And recently, I have also created an escape game that teaches people about Bitcoin in a fun way. I'm excited to be here around you at Bitcoin Fest. And I can't wait to share about the beauty of Lebanon and to let you discover our local community and tell you about the Bitcoin adoption in Lebanon. Yes. Thank you very much, Said. Hey, uh, Kryptonator guy. Hello, hello. Let me first thank you for inviting me to be with you here tonight, guys. I'm Kryptonator guy. 
the incognito Bitcoin Maxi, as you said earlier, class of uh, 2022. I'm still new, I know. <laughs> um, well, my story is uh, that I knew about Bitcoin uh, since back when I was in university in 2011. Me and my friends were fascinated by uh, Bitcoin and we were following its price daily. As all of us, I thought that Bitcoin is not for me and I forgot about it. Years go by and 2021 was about to end. On Christmas of that year, my cousin told me that he will buy a Bitcoin miner and wanted me to buy one with him. I neglected his offer and went on with my life. Beginning of 2022, a friend of mine called me and told me about a company that we should buy a package from, do small tasks and doing some USDT. Back then, I didn't know what USDT is, so I went and searched what USDT is, how to withdraw, bought a package, created an account, and after a week, the website goes offline, and I lost my money. The Lebanese economic crisis was beginning to be awful for me, so I continued my research and went on many sleepless nights searching, watching videos, and reading. I dabbled into many coins, Dogecoin, Bitcoin Cash, etc. I was all in for free websites, apps, games, that sort of stuff. I didn't want to lose any more money. Until one night, I stumbled upon a video on YouTube explaining a game that uh, you have to tap on the screen, bounce a ball, and win some sets. This game was Bitcoin Bounce by Thunder Games. At first, I thought to myself, of course, this is not legit. Back then, I didn't know what Lightning Network is and, and thought everything was uh, and or should be on-chain. The weird thing is, after a while, that same video popped out again. I watched the gun, downloaded the game, and uh, also the wallet. Collected some tickets, waited for the draw, and here I am winning my first sets. I created a Twitter account, this very account, and uh, a Discord account too, to join the Thunder community. On my way, I got to know two cool people, Mary Emasman and the famous Koti Auditore. Without these two people, I am not where I am right now. From here, the rest is history, and now I am only for Bitcoin. That's it. Thank you. Hey, Kryptonator guy, that's a really cool story. Getting orange-pilled via games. And I want to say how you came into the space. You were nominated uh, by somebody as a reply to our announcement tweet. Shout out to yeah. Koti. Shout out to Koti. He was I was nominated by him, yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, he, uh, yeah, he said that you're a great Bitcoiner. And uh, thank you very much, uh, guys, for your introductions. Very exciting, very interesting journeys. And we have another song. This is not any song. This is Le Beirut by Fairus. Fairus is a famous Lebanese artist. Every family listens to her in the morning. We have an expression that instead of breakfast, we have a Fairus on the way to work. When my dad drove me to school, he used to play this. The song was selected by Marco. وقبل للبحر والبيوت لصخرة كأنها وجه بحار قديم 
My hair on my arm is literally standing up. Like this song is so beautiful. Uh, Marco, please uh, say something. I, I told you before, and, and seriously, I mean it. Every single Lebanese can relate to this song. Their parents made them listen to this song in the morning. Is that correct, Said and Nasser and uh, Sully? <laughs> 100%. Yeah, it, it became a standard. So this particular song talks about Beirut and about the passion and the love for Beirut by Fairuz. When I was listening to this song before the space, it rolled over into another song on YouTube. And that song was uh, also just stunningly beautiful. So I'm going to be listening to Fairuz uh, a lot, I think, going forward. Yeah, you know, you know to, just to tell you, I've never been passionate about Le- the Lebanese songs and Arabic songs because most of them, I thought they're all about love and, you know, this kind of fairy tales. But once I grew up, I discovered the, the true meaning behind the, the real Lebanese artists, like the one we're sharing tonight. Okay, so let's take it back in time. We're going to travel into history. We are going to talk about Lebanon in back in the day. So not Bitcoin yet, uh, only Lebanese history. And uh, please, uh, you can start as far back as you want. Who should go here? I, I will give the speaker to Saul Defin. He's very passionate about the history of Lebanon. Of course, Said and Crypto, not our guy. Yeah, if, if you have something to say, just go ahead, join us, please. But Saul, definitely, you're the guy. Okay. I'm going to start with some facts and then go back in history. First, did you know that Lebanon was once considered the Switzerland of the Middle East for its banking industry? Did you know that in Lebanon, there isn't any history book that tells one homogeneous, unbiased story? Each history book in different schools and libraries is written by different authors, aligned with the political color of the area the library or school is in or belongs to. I personally coordinated closely in my previous career with the Lebanese Ministry of Education. And the curriculum is purposefully doesn't have all the history covered. When you want to destroy a a population, you destroy its history and its education. Understanding the past and nurturing education are key to building a brighter future. What we're going to share today is based on non-political, pure facts by Bitcoiners for Bitcoiners. Ahla wa sahla, or welcome in Lebanese. Lebanon is a beautiful and diverse country steeped in history and facing unique economic challenges. Nestled on the eastern shores of the Mediterranean, locked between the sea, turbulent Syria and occupied Palestine, Lebanon is home to over 6 million people with a rich tapestry of cultures and religion. Despite being only around 10,452 square kilometers or 4,000 square miles for our American friends, roughly the size of Connecticut in the US or Cyprus in Europe, Lebanon boasts a dynamic energy with a strong entrepreneurial spirit. The Lebanese are generally friendly, hospitable, and warm. However, 
The country has also faced significant challenges, including a high public debt to GDP ratio of around 170% and widespread corruption. You've likely been hearing about Lebanon since October 2019 until today. Yet, Lebanon's economic story dates to a long time before that. And for those historical reasons you're going to hear about today are the same reasons why there are more Lebanese living outside Lebanon in every single sector you could think of. The Lebanese history goes way back in time for an economic perspective uh, before Christ, but I'm going to just start after Christ with the Ottoman Empire. The Ottomans ruled Lebanon between 1516 and 1980. These 400 years impacted its economy and social structure by developing the silk industry and introducing a feudal system. And for the ones who don't know what a feudal system is, it's a system which shaped the distribution of land and power among different religious groups. For a country where we have 17 religious sects as per the Lebanese constitution, until today, in some areas in Lebanon, you cannot buy real estate if you don't belong to a specific religion or political party. The Lebanese meza, which is a selection of small dishes served as appetizers, and the famous Lebanese sweets have their roots in the Ottoman cuisine. After the Ottomans we were colonized by the French from 1920 to 1943, who influenced its cuisine again, and this is why the Lebanese food is so amazing. The French modernized Lebanon by establishing the Lebanese Republic, but also it shaped the banking sector. They were the first to really put foundations for the banking system in Lebanon and introduced the Lebanese pound as the national currency. So the Lebanese pound was first printed within the, the French mandate. From the end of the French mandate to the Lebanese Civil War in 1975, this period was marked by the formation of everything modern state and the development of the institutions today. The French influence can still be seen in the daily modern dialects. We say hello, hello, or like uh, French expressions as a daily dialect in most of the Lebanese cities, to the architecture of Beirut and the popularity of French-style cafes until today. Now to still stay in history but cover a Lebanese uh, economic sector uh, perspective. The key economic sectors in Lebanon always included tourism, agriculture, and banking. The tourism sector was based on the history, but to have tourism that to thrive in any country, you need to have a safety and security environment. And for the past uh, 20 years, the safety and security situation in Lebanon started like free-falling before 2019, and the tourism was also going down. When it comes to the economic sectors like agriculture, historically, because Lebanon was focusing on the services, uh, agriculture didn't have any, it, it had a neglect for export. So the agriculture has been facing catastrophic impacts just because of the corruption at the political level that signed uh, trade treaties with other agricultural producing countries and the neighboring countries. Whereby in Lebanon, you, you have like amazing climate and land for have local produce, but you could see like tons of, and here Thomas, I wish Thomas was with us. Thomas also produced apples, for example. And last season, he put, he did post a thread on Twitter how there's tons of apple boxes that go to waste in Lebanon. So historically, it's been the case before 2019. And that also with history, when it comes to the banking sector, it's like a Jenga tower, thanks to the U.S. Fed's support and the guidance of the same central bank governance for the past 30 years. Now, Wall Street and Fed's favorite ex-Merrill Lynch banker, our governor, unfortunately, Riyad Salemi, this guy kept the Lebanese pound pegged for 30 years, uh, 1,500 Lebanese pounds to the dollar from 1990s to 2019. Like during this peg, Lebanon lured 
billions of dollars to boost its public sector, rebuild its infrastructure, enhance public servant skills, and revamp the system. But here is the catch. Bridges that began construction three decades ago are still a work in progress today. Public servants have been getting hired for the past 30 years based on their political affiliations rather than their professional expertise, and the system has only gotten worse compared to 30 years ago. Now, for the history and the debasement, because it's all linked together, uh, Lucas, things started being highlighted in mainstream media post-October 2019. But since the 80s, Lebanon has been facing numerous security incidents, uh, terrorist attacks, assassinations, and the most famous one was the Port of Beirut blast on October 4th, 2020, which was the strongest blast within the city since Hiroshima. These incidents altogether contributed to the political instability and economic decline that Lebanon is facing today. However, on the on the positive side, I know that there was a lot shared from music, etc. with you, but the Lebanese art scene has been also thriving because the, it's all been expressing about the history of Lebanon. Uh, one positive side also, like the wine industry in Lebanon has been also thriving despite everything. There are some positives uh, to it. Now, for the devaluation of the Lebanese pound, it did lead to a widespread poverty a high unemployment rate, a struggling economy, increasing crime, higher suicide rates, and a surge in child abandonment. These things are not really spoken about in the media. Today, the public sector employees are no longer going to work, and there are discussions about having the military send soldiers to replace these employees. This is actually happening. Meanwhile, the Lebanese people find solace and humor, often cracking jokes and sharing memes about the devaluation on social media, or even calling the governor of the central bank Really, we just like have a laugh of the situation just to uh, stay abrupt with what's happening. Now, for the gold um, history in Lebanon, because there are a lot of talks about the economy and that Lebanon has a lot of gold in its reserves, etc. Like the first Lebanese pound was printed in 1924. And that Lebanese pound had a gold value at the time equivalent to 0.18 grams of gold. Today, the value of the 100,000 Lebanese pound notes is equivalent to around 0.005 grams of gold, considering the current exchange rate of 104,000 Lebanese pounds to the dollar, even though it reached an all-time high of 140 plus, if I'm not mistaken. Lebanon abandoned the gold standard in 78 during the civil war. This is where it was decoupled and then pegged to the French franc, then to the US dollar. But Lebanon accumulated a lot of gold between, I mean, a lot back then, between 1960s and 1970s, and it currently holds approximately 287 metric tons of gold. Not all of this gold is in Lebanon, like most of the third world countries, unfortunately, and it has never been transparently audited or counted. Now, we as Bitcoiners, we know the, the risks of that. However, let's say at market value today, current situation of the gold can't even save Lebanon, because if... All the gold was accessible, even though we doubt that would happen. It will have a value of about $18 billion. That would only keep Lebanon alive for not more than two years. All in all, this is the situation. Just next time you're encountering Lebanese culture or like uh, going through anything Lebanese, just appreciate the beauty and the depth of the resilience of the Lebanese people. It all starts with education and it all starts also with history. Thanks for the opportunity. Wow. Awesome rundown. Thank you, Sully. Anyone wants to uh, continue that? Yeah, I just want to add something very important about the Lebanese and the culture we have here. Like, I've been living in Lebanon for the past 20 years, and I spent, you know, my, my childhood in Poland. I'm half Polish, half Lebanese. And, and I have to say that I, I fell in love with, with the Lebanese people. 
and and the spirit uh, we we have actually we despite all the troubles and everything that happened and and that's all you mentioned we love life simply as that so if you guys ever plan to come to lebanon anyone if you just knock at anyone's door everyone will let you in anyone can uh, they'll, they'll just invite you for food and they'll convince you to sleep over that's how amazing and friendly uh lebanese are especially to to people who are not from lebanon foreigners so guys seriously if you want to come to lebanon come over uh you feel very welcome you feel very warm despite everything is happening we have 14 million diaspora outside of lebanon and around 6 million uh people in lebanon because we have huge families most of us not all of us of course the family bonds are so strong that we just support each other as much as possible so uh we're moving into present time. Before we uh, leave history, I wanna share a little story that uh, my father shared with me when I called him to ask about Lebanese history, because he's a history professor, archeologist, and uh, he said that when the uh, Roman Empire was at its peak, it was stretching all the way to uh, the Near Orient, which is uh, Lebanon and the surrounding countries. And actually the richest part of the Roman Empire was this Near Orient. And uh, actually what happened when the Ottomans invaded in the uh, 7th century, they didn't really have to fight the Lebanese so hard because they offered them much lower taxes than the Romans had offered. So. <laughs> So it was a walkover because <laughs> they didn't have to pay as much taxes. So they were happy to change rule. And um, I found that quite a funny history. And also like one core thing that my father said was that, well, we must remember that the roots of European culture, European civilization are from Lebanon and the surrounding areas. So um, this is really a place with deep, deep history, deep uh, cultural heritage. So. Let's move on to present day. And uh, before we talk a little bit more about Lebanon today, we should listen to another song. And it's not any song. It is a song called Beirut also by Rog featuring Nina Abel Malak. DJ Rog is a popular local DJ. Us Lebanese love to party. We have really extreme parties usually, especially for the Middle East. People from outside love to come to Lebanon to party. This was a song selected by Marco. <laughs> I really feel the party vibes uh, listening to that one. 
Look, look, that just reminded me of a story that happened with me when I was in my mid-20s. Uh, there was a time once I spent three days nonstop partying. It was like Friday night party, morning beach party, then again an after party, then beach party, then again party until Monday. <laughs> Seriously, this is Lebanese. I mean, this again, despite if it was happening in Lebanon, if you go walk into clubs right now, uh, you know, restaurants, everything is packed. People coming in partying, trying to live their lives. And probably they have nothing in their account. They still want to party and enjoy their life because they believe or we believe that maybe there's no tomorrow. I was just about to ask you uh, if you're a party animal because I got that vibe. Well, I, I used to be. I used to be, honestly. But, you know, <laughs> I have now two kids. Guys, tell us more about Lebanon. Just I want to let you know that Beirut is known that it is the, the city that never sleeps. So a party all, all the time. Talking about uh, Lebanon's history, there's two points uh, I think I should mention. Lebanon has the oldest city in the world, which is Biblos. It is known that the first human was living in an old cave in a city called Antilias. I wanted to add that. Thank you. And I will add that if you know Phoenicians, we believe that uh, Lebanese ancestors are Phoenicians who created the letters and uh, the commerce, the trade. Just to add something cool, if you ask any Lebanese person if they're Arab, they'll say, no, I'm Phoenician. Oh, wow. <laughs> we, we don't yeah. identify as Arab. <laughs> There is everybody, no desert in everybody, Lebanon. Everybody uh, would say like that? There is no desert in Lebanon. That too. Just to mention that. Because <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. It depends who you ask. <laughs> some will, will say we are Arabs. Some will say, no, we are Phoenicians. It, it depends who you ask. I think that proud Lebanese will never admit that we are Arabs. Even actually, if you listen to our dialects, we have combination, as, as Soli mentioned, between French, English, and Arabic. Even if you ask, if you, if you talk Arabic, we don't. We spoke, speak Lebanese. The combination of three different languages. Yes, and when we, we chat between each other, we chat using the Latin letters, not the Arabic letters. Yeah? Yes. So it's like Arabic with Latin letters. Yeah. You know, I, I had many people coming into Bitcoin, the Lubon community, and they were surprised that most of us talk English or like, you know, it seemed like English because literally Lebanese feel more comfortable talking English and French more than Arabic. I'm trying to wrap my head around it. I'm listening. So a cryptonator. Yeah, we have a famous uh, thing that we say that uh, in one sentence we talk three languages. So we say, hi, kifak, sava, or hi, how are you? You good? Hi is in English, kifak is in Arabic, sava is in French. Okay, so does all of you guys speak uh, French, English, and Arabic? Everybody are trilingual? Yes, almost everyone. Wow, <laughs> okay. You see, you see, the educational system of, of Lebanon is partially French because the French occupation that we had in back in the days. So our government at billboards, it's in French and of course in Arabic, but the common language on the street depends where you are, it's English. And then if you go to clubs and more fancy places, everyone talks French, like, you know, the language of the salon. Yeah. Hmm. Huh. Yeah, that's why, that, that's why I'm saying, like, if anyone tries to come to Lebanon, if you just know English or French, you'll be totally fine. You don't need any translation. You just, you're just totally okay. Anyone, anyone, you can talk to anyone, literally. This is what contributed to, to the tourism we were talking about, Lucas. Like, the, from the guys we were mentioning Phoenicians, like, before Christ. And that trade experience made the Lebanese DNA 
really social and sociable and like open to people and being on the sea itself helped a lot the climate helped a lot which is quite different from most of the other arab countries this is why we like most of us don't really relate to being arab just because okay we speak the language but when it comes to the culture and the diversity and the openness and the diversity of the cultures you have within the same country within the same small area is completely different than any other arab country interesting so could you just add a little bit about the Phoenicians? So it was a seafaring people. Yes. So I think it was between uh, 1800 and 300 before uh, Christ, where uh, it was not only Lebanon, actually, it was Syria, Lebanon and Cyprus. So all the eastern coast of the Mediterranean, the, the population there was known for its trade because of the solid boats they used to build using the cedar trees and you have a cedar tree and the lebanese flag ah so the cedar tree in the flag is from the phoenicians kind of yeah i mean we have the one of the oldest uh, cedar trees in the world uh, still in lebanon how old thousands of years i don't know lucas yeah many many thousand <laughs> okay so somebody mentioned was a cryptonator that there's no desert in lebanon is that true yes there's no desert it's a common mistake that uh, usually Europeans and uh, Americans think about that uh, there is a desert, but we don't have a desert. We have snow and uh, we are uh, like a European landscape. The camels you see are just for tourists, actually. You have like a couple of camels just for tourists to come and uh, get on their humps just to go around the ruins and like yeah the camels you see in lebanon are around the roman temples in lebanon that are located in a city called uh, beka which is like in the mountains center north of the country and camels are not native animals of lebanon so just like the guys were saying we don't have desert yeah, yeah the camels are for decorative purpose so the tourists can take pictures that's it mary said i have to ask you guys about uh, the entrepreneurial spirit is it true I think Said can say say something about it. You know, he, he came up with a Bitcoin escape room, so it's kind of an inviting, great idea to introduce Bitcoin to people. You know, yes, yeah, true. Lebanese people are, uh, as we said, uh, back to the days of the Phoenicians, they were traders. So we, we have it in our blood to be entrepreneurs and uh, to make businesses. Uh, in fact, most of the Lebanese economy is based on restaurants, on uh, small businesses. We don't have a lot of industry or agriculture. We're mostly a service industry. We offer uh, restaurants, to tourism, uh, these stuff that are not uh, really industrial. I would add to that, it's in our blood in the sense where our DNA got affected over time just because the government doesn't offer you much. And it's you, our parents, our ancestors, our grandparents taught us to think of the plan B and C and D and E if plan A failed. So every Lebanese think how to provide to his family in every single way possible. Like you can say majority of the population, if not themselves, their parents had to be creative to provide. Like historically as human behavior, like when you are in need, you become more creative and you come up with better solutions. And this is also, it's proven in education, like poorest kids can have the most successful educational careers, etc. And you have like entrepreneurs in every single sector and industry. Like you have the diaspora, the Lebanese diaspora in Africa, in Australia, across the world and in Lebanon, because the, the Lebanese always been taught to, they can only count on themselves. 
uh, like on themselves as individual by individual, uh, kind of being yourself sovereign individual in some terms, but uh, you can't rely on the system because the system is just fucking you up dry. That's it. It's really interesting how this reminds me of the Vietnamese people. I live in Vietnam and the Vietnamese people, as everybody knows, had a really rough ride with the French first and then the Americans. And before that, it was the Japanese and whoever. They, they always wanted to invade uh, the Vietnamese. And Vietnamese are extremely entrepreneurial and just want to be left alone because they know if they just get left alone, they, they'll, they'll manage. This struck me earlier today, actually, that Seeing these news about uh, these uh, peace deals happening in the Middle East and the U.S. maybe pulling back a bit on the, uh, well, they're not really yet, but it seems like maybe the U.S. is not going to be able to continue with their endless wars in the Middle East and uh, their uh, divide and conquer strategies. Maybe Lebanon has a similar situation to what Vietnam had coming out of the sanctions, because uh, Vietnam was sanctioned all the way until 1992 as punishment for winning the war. And uh, just after they, they got unsanctioned, it just started growing like crazy. I was thinking maybe Lebanon is this great place now when maybe it won't be possible to disrupt as much in the region anymore. It's going to be the citadel nation with all these entrepreneurs making all this great food. And um, yeah, it was, it was just a thought that struck me. Uh, I don't know much about Vietnam, Lucas, and I'm very interested in learning about it later on. But when it comes to Lebanon, something I didn't share, like I just like bumped into it about the civil war. The civil war started was between 1975 and it ended in 1990. There's very important, clear, objective fact that the war leaders agreed on a table in 1990 in Saudi that they're going to stop the war. They took their military uniforms off. They put tuxedos on. And they've been governing the country ever since. The same people. So I don't know how much uh, Vietnam... I mean, I have a lot of uh, respect to every single country really recovering and healing, etc. But Lebanon never healed, man. Just like you need to wake up to recover. And uh, the civil war finished in 1990 with the disastrous human casualties, even though the currency was much better, the economy was much better than today. But unfortunately today, the Lebanese people realized on October 2019 and forward, they just woke up. Not They didn't wake up in 1990 That from what happened from the civil war. And this is only my personal observation, and maybe it's shared or not. But uh, I strongly believe that whatever happened in 2019, like the people going on the streets, uh, really rebelling and like saying their word, they didn't do it for 30 years since 1990, where... It, you should have a recovery period after such long civil wars, and it's damaging. Uh, now the problem is, uh, since we're like shifting to the present, we just like I noticed like at, uh, in Lebanon uh, two months ago, and it was disastrous how people are adapting. The Lebanese are so amazing; they're so adaptable to situations that they're not letting the crisis uh, stop their lives, which is great. Uh, they need to survive. They need to keep providing for their families, etc. But I hope it's not reaching an adaptation level to get to an acceptance level. If I, like you said, the Vietnamese want everyone to let them uh, be, you know, let, let them let, let, keep us alone, let us recover, let us heal, let us do what needs to be done to our country. 
the problem is Lebanon is so like positively so diversified, but negatively because of the war, etc. I don't know how it's how it's realistic to ask anyone to let Lebanon be alone because like by nature, by location on the map, it's very difficult to let Lebanon stay alone. Like it's not for anyone's interest in Lebanon, outside Lebanon, east, west, you name it, to leave Lebanon uh, alone. We speak about entrepreneurial uh, businessmen, businesswomen. Dubai today, for example, if anyone likes Dubai's nightlife, if anyone been to Dubai or hear about Dubai, Dubai's nightlife is run by Lebanese. Lebanese diaspora. The hotels, the restaurants, the nightclubs, uh, the beaches, the bars, the pools, the even the best hotels you have, the, the managers are Lebanese. So, yeah, to answer uh, Lisa or Mary, you or two, yeah, it's true. True story. Verified. Interesting. I met one Lebanese here in Vietnam going up the highest tower, and he seemed to be a club king. So I can confirm that I've observed this here as well. And to, just to add some hope, uh, Vietnam is also in this in a geographical location that's very in between. I mean, they have a huge coast here that's very attractive to the Chinese, to the Americans, to everybody. And um, somehow they managed. Uh, about the entrepreneurial spirit, I would like to add a personal story of... Um, me interacting with Lebanese entrepreneurialism. I, I had a company uh, to sign documents electronically, and we signed a deal with uh, Avis, uh, the car rental company, and we signed a uh, EMEA-wide deal. And um, it was for a pilot in UK and uh, a bunch of countries in Europe. But after the summer, the pilot winded down and I was invited to um, the internal conference for all the licensee countries. And at the conference, uh, it was only like internal, basically. At the conference, I had a sit down with the uh, Saudi and uh, the Lebanese licensee together. Uh, we, we only had a 10 minute meeting. I, I showed the e-signing solution and the guy, the Lebanese guy, Raja Kurvan, he, he said, Lucas, I'm going to be first. I'm always first. And uh, I'm going to do this as soon as I come home. And so uh, I didn't really believe it. But uh, basically, we were trying to set this up at Beirut Airport to sign uh, your car rental agreement uh, electronically on an iPad. Eventually, the internet was a little bit too bad. So basically, I realized somebody has to fly uh, to Lebanon. I said, fuck. And in, in front of me, uh, I had just hired a guy to do videos and uh, in front of me, he's sitting in front of me. He's like, what, what, what? And I'm like, oh, somebody has to go to Beirut. And this is just around the time when there was the Syria war and a lot of refugees going to Lebanon. And so it wasn't like really appealing to go to Lebanon at that time. But the guy looks at me and says, Lucas, I'm Lebanese. I haven't been in Lebanon for 10 years. I haven't met my grandmother. I want to go. So basically the guy, we taught him how to install the solution and he got on a plane. He made like a travel videos about the shawarmas and uh, about the beautiful weather and stuff and about how to install e-signing at the Beirut airport. And ever since those interactions with uh, Raja Kurban and the crew at the Avis Lebanon uh, company, it was some of my favorite people to do business with. I just, uh, I, I, I got in contact with Raja um, a couple of years ago again, and uh, he was really busy due to, to the hyperinflation happening and so on. Uh, but uh, he, uh, he was managing. I was really impressed. Uh, so yeah, that's my personal interaction with Lebanese entrepreneurialism. And as an entrepreneur, I really admire uh, 
I mean, that's next level entrepreneurialism. It's uh, with those kind of difficulties. It's something that I've never encountered coming from Sweden. It was so easy in some ways. Anyways, back to Lebanon. Look, it's actually funny what you just mentioned, but the guy who you said to Lebanon, the first thing he, he photos is that of his grandma. Like, this is how family oriented we are. That's true. <laughs> it was literally the first thing he told me. Yeah, it was it was his first week on the job, Ali. So, guys, we haven't talked about the food. Before we move on to Bitcoin, we have to talk about the food. I mean, Lebanese food is famous and it's one of my favorite cuisines. Lebanese hummus is to die for. Guys, can you share a bit more? There is only one hummus. It's Lebanese. There's no Lebanese hummus. Hummus is Lebanese. So, you know, if, you, if you're mentioning you, hummus, it's... it's by by default, it's, it's, it's Lebanese. I'm sorry, you can't specify Lebanese hummus. You know, just to make things clear before anyone <laughs> to speak anything else, please, please, let's make it clear. <laughs> it's official now. <laughs> yeah, the food is great because the weather is amazing, and the fruits and the veggies we have locally grown, they're just fantastic. People who grow usually uh, like fruits and veggies in Lebanon, they're we can call it more organic than Europe. If you go to Europe, everything is without the flavor, they don't have a taste, they just feel weird, just like so commercial. But in Lebanon, all the plates, all the food, all the veggies, all, all the, the fruit, they're just rich and, and like rich of flavor. And that makes the any plate in Lebanon just delicious. And I had a visitor yesterday, he's from Ireland. And the thing, thing the first this the first time he's going to Lebanon, he was like, dude, you guys eat so much here all this fucking time. And the food is amazing. I can't have enough of it. <laughs> so yeah, our culture is not based on eating, but we just enjoy meza. And I think probably guys can contribute what is meza, to be more yes. specific. Yes, it's a, meza is like uh, is a set of different appetizers. You have cold meza and warm meza, just like the Greek, for example. But it's uh, more infused from like Turkish and French, which is like a lot of different flavors. And what I would add to Marco said is that you have the climate that gets you the best produce. You have the history that combines different cuisines in one. And also you have the, the energy behind the cooking. Like, And when you try Lebanese cuisine in Europe or in the States or in the Far East, it's completely different uh, than Lebanese in Lebanon. And this is a different complete league, different level, higher level. So highly recommended. Cryptonator, maybe you want to add something about the food? Yeah, of course. Um, talking about the food, the food is amazing. We were saying about Lebanese that they are really welcoming and these stuff. So when you go to a Lebanese home, you cannot you cannot leave without lunch and maybe also dinner. So <laughs> you have to see our lunch table, which is... I don't know how many plates there are on, on the table. So, wow, really. <laughs> it, it's just too much to talk about. It's just a simple meza is a, a starter, you can say, of 12 to 15, even up to 20 different small dishes. So by the time you reach the main course, you, you're done. You, you don't have to have the main course. It, on many times, I go out with my family, my wife, especially with my wife. I just go for the meza. I don't go for the lunch or for the, for the main course. Just having fun with the meza, with the liver, with the hummus, with all the kind of cheese, grilled cheese, baked cheese, anything. Just you name it. And Marco, you have Polish roots. I, I do have Polish roots. So, so I know the European food is totally different from Lebanese. I love both cuisines. It's, the, the European is really rich in fat. 
but the Lebanese is light. You feel good when you eat it. Like you feel refreshed. You can just keep eating as much as you want. You start growing of the stairs. <laughs> so is shawarmas or mese better than ruske pierogi? Tell me. Well, you're putting me in a difficult spot, honestly. <laughs> I'm not going to answer. I'm not going to put that I'll, on the I'll record. Let you I'll let you pass. Okay. <laughs> um, so... Uh, I, I was just going to mention something cool about the fun fact about Lebanon. Now we have a huge and growing, uh, it, it became really popular to grow your own avocados in Lebanon. And back in 2017, Mackenzie did a study on Lebanon, uh, what kind of industry they should be focused on. And they came out two things, hashish, which is the Lebanese weed, and <laughs> avocados. Now, since it's not kind of legal to you know grow weed and hashish uh, yet, at least, even though a lot of people in Bekat do it. A lot of people, because of the recent crisis, they're, they're opening farms of avocado, including me. I, I planted like two years ago, 100 trees, and I can call myself a Bitcoin farmer now, somehow. So you sell the uh, avocado with, in Bitcoin? Well, not, not yet, not yet. Not yet. The, the trees are still young. I need like two, three more years to actually have a, you know, a small, uh, I can sell them, but for now, I'm self-sufficient. I have avocados like, Plenty of them for whole uh, during the summer. Great. We need people in all different disciplines in Bitcoin so that we can have circular economy. All services, all products need to be represented by Bitcoiners. And I think this is a great segue into Bitcoin. And we have, of course, another song. Nasam Alaina Al-Hawa by Feirouz. A classic Feirouz song that has become an anthem for many Lebanese, especially those living abroad. The song was released in 1957 and has since become a symbol of nostalgia and longing for Lebanon. The Nasser is writing this and the lyrics of the song speak of the wind blowing over the mountains of Lebanon and carrying the scent of jasmine and pine. It expresses the desire to return to Lebanon, to live amongst family and friends and to be surrounded by the beauty of its natural landscapes. The song has become so popular that it is often played at Lebanese weddings, parties and other events. It has been covered by many artists and musicians over the years. Its popularity is a testament to the love and attachment that many Lebanese feel for their homeland. And I feel we heard that for sure in what you guys were sharing. Let's listen to the song.
Fairus. Said, please uh, share uh, your comments. Uh, yes, the song is so famous among uh, Lebanese diaspora. I have uh, studied f- uh, for two years in France, and there, uh, when whenever we we hear this song, we feel nostalgia. And all the Lebanese people that uh, that were living there, they had a hard time remembering and uh, longing to Lebanon. Thanks for sharing the song. And guys, we are on Bitcoin history, starting with a little bit of the uh, Bitcoin origins in. Lebanon. Uh, who were early Bitcoiners that you know of? And were there any early services that you know of? Any early maybe scams that you know of? Okay, so um, honestly, um, I know personally few people who were in Bitcoin back in 2013. But looking back at 2017, when I joined the space, uh, people who were into Bitcoin back then, they weren't really, let's say, a true Bitcoiners. I mean, yes, they believe in Bitcoin and they believe in self-sovereignty and uh, those things, but they never tried to give give back to the community. It kind of surprises me that people had four or five years of, of uh, head start, let's, let's call it, and they had a lot of opportunities to grow into something bigger, but, but they never had this commitment to to provide those those servers. On the contrary, uh, the first time I bought Bitcoin in Lebanon, which is a through P2P market because that's the only way we could buy it in Lebanon, I had to pay almost 15% fees because there were like four or five brokers who were you know, selling Bitcoin in the market. It was highly centralized. It was difficult. You had to trust people, like really trust people because you don't know them. And it was challenging. It was really, really challenging. It, it kind of surprising why why they haven't done something bigger uh, since then. But luckily, we have a great team right now. <laughs> Plenty of distributed people, different places, for, and then trying to you know, make a change in Lebanon. I know yeah. some Lebanese uh, person, a Lebanese uh, person who was doing a master in cyber, uh, in cryptography in 2010, when almost Satoshi was uh, first mining Bitcoin. He's Lebanese living in Luxembourg and the first then he he loved the idea of Bitcoin but he, he thought that maybe uh, of course governments will try to kill it of course someone will try to attack the network because he himself he was able to do a 51% attack on the network if he can only borrow some laptops from his friends so he thought that it's a very nice experiment but it will not work of course it will not work because someone will kill it and uh, after many years he was uh, he was keeping an eye on it and he didn't buy until 2016 when he discovered that uh, against all odds no one could uh, stop it and no one stopped it until now so uh, he was he since then he he started to telling us about it i i heard about bitcoin uh, because of him and he helped me how to buy uh, because he was in Europe, so he was able to buy and to to give me. Uh, so I didn't pass through the the bad peer to peer experience like Marco because I didn't buy from Lebanon. But one when I started buying through Lebanese people, Marco had already solved this problem by doing a Telegram groups where sellers can meet uh, buyers. 
And so the rates of the USDT was so uh, low, almost 1% only. You can buy USDT and buy Bitcoin with it. Yeah, uh, this is because of the Telegram we've created group. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, back in the days before, uh, before 2017, 2018, the fees were, were horrible. They the reached between 15, 10 to 15% fees on every single transaction. That was insane. Some people, friends of mine, they were like, you know, Marco, you have to open a Telegram group just for P2P. And we did with, with help of uh, Soli and other guys. We, we opened up a, a group and it exploded. It really exploded. We reached almost 5,000 members at some point. Now it's a little bit less, you know, people left and, and then the bear market. But the thing is, it drove the whole market to, at some point, a negative 3%. So... For every Bitcoin you bought, you could get it even cheaper. You know, the thing is, these people, when I mentioned earlier, those five or six people, brokers, they, they had a deal between each other that that's the rate they were going to be setting. And because of that, uh, believe it or not, uh, I got some death threats from them. Like, you have, to, you have to close the group, you have to sell it to us, you have to do so, all sorts of things, you have to manipulate the, the fees because you're killing us, you're killing our business model. But this is the cool part. What happened is that a lot, a lot of new brokers came up and resellers, and this drove prices to the ground. And that that's that's really great thing that that happened, and it's it's magnificent. Since then, we had like you know, yeah, free market exactly. New groups popped out, and 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 everything just exploded, and it's amazing. They asked me like, uh, aren't you like uh, unhappy that the other Telegram groups and you know people are selling on different groups? On the contrary, let them. I have no benefit from these groups anyway i just want to give it to the public and, and to the community so everyone can you know be in a free market that's all he said yes and i think that uh, every country every local place they need to have uh, something uh, similar to our telegram groups in lebanon because there is a lot of bitcoiners who worry about their privacy and about kyc problems so they they prefer to buy peer-to-peer without anyone knowing that they bought or how many they have and all this stuff of privacy. So I think that it's going to be so useful for Europeans, especially if banks now in Europe and in USA, they are making a crackdown on uh, on exchanges and they don't allow people to send money to exchanges. So this could be a very good strategy to just cash out your money from banks because uh, in any case they they might go insolvent and buy bitcoin with it directly peer-to-peer as it was meant to be was there any early uh, scams that you guys remember well okay so because of the crisis uh, that happened in to the late 2019 it provided a way opportunity let's call it to to scammers and people to scam those new new people who are trying to join the space like the most recent one i remember and it was the biggest one it was binance fund it's called binance fund of course it has nothing to do with binance and yes i I can see you guys you know where this is going but basically the guy whoever created and obviously it was somehow uh, so i think it was lebanese like we believe it was lebanese because it was kind of local uh, no not many people heard of it besides in lebanon so probably that's part of the lebanese entrepreneurship but what happened is that they offered over 100% uh, aoi so you have to deposit your money and wait a month or two whatever the more money you put the more aoi you have and of course, you'll get your money uh, back, double or triple. And the sad things, 
this lasted or this boom for around six months. And obviously it's a Ponzi scheme without, you know, for those who didn't get it at first, but it was obviously a Ponzi scheme. Some people cashed out. Some people were really happy about it. But I personally know people who sold their cars, stake their houses, just to get on that Binance fund. Disregarding all sorts of warning, red flags, uh, me saying it, me reminding on the groups and chats, please just don't put any money into it. Believe it or not, I had a friend, a colleague of mine, she called me up on Sunday night and she's like, Marco, there's this great uh, you know, thing that you can make money out of it. She's like, I'm like, what, what is it? She's like, Binance fund. I was like, this is a scam. No, no, no. My brother knows into crypto. I'm like, oh God, no, just, I know where this is going. But yeah, my, my brother like read about it and he's into it and you can make money of it. I was like, listen, this is a pure scam and you probably won't be able to cash out. Well, well, I'll, I'll give it a try. I'm like, don't try it. I'll try to cash it out before anyone else. Like, yeah, everyone says it. Come on, just give me a break. It didn't work. Literally, this would happen. Next day, it shut down, the Binance fund, like literally within 24 hours. She gives me a call a few days later. Yeah, we, we put a little bit of cash into it. And well, you were right. I'm like, oh, of course I was right. But it's obvious. It's, if I wanted to be right, this is a typical Ponzi scheme. You know, it's that simple. No one gives you 100% or 75% or right within 30 days. It's just pure nonsense. Nah, come on. I'll give you 100%. Another story about scammers in Lebanon. Uh, on Clubhouse about a year ago, a year and a half ago, we were in a, just like in a room uh, talking about Bitcoin. And uh, it was an Arabic uh, audience, an Arabic panel. And uh, this lady was a speaker. Someone was hosting the room. And that lady was a full-on uh, marketing lady and openly saying that she gets paid between $5,000 and $10,000 for every Instagram story she does about a crypto project. Uh, open. And uh, yeah, so, I mean, Lebanon, just like any other country, is just like a sample of the world we live in. The only unfortunate part is that the Lebanese, the whole 6 million population, got scanned by the central bank. And they got really, sorry, but... Uh, Okay, let's keep it polite. But I mean, <laughs> they, they, they can't access their bank accounts again. Like 6 million people. And these 6 million people, most of them don't realize the Ponzi scheme. Like what is a Ponzi scheme? They just think it's a Lebanese thing. It's the Lebanese setup, etc. So, yeah. Okay. The biggest, biggest Ponzi was the central bank Ponzi. And we haven't really covered it. Could somebody give, give the audience a rundown on, on what happened in yeah, before before we go into that, just remember, actually, I have a friend who's working in a typical Ponzi scheme, and I tried to talk to him. I talked, I tried to talk him out of it, but he's like, you know, it's kind of MLM, which is the multi-level marketing scheme, getting people on board, and and as well, you have great profits because they have this boss that makes you money. And oh, well, definitely, the guy blocked me. But these these things are going on, and and as as Sully mentioned, because we lost a lot of money. Uh, to this great Ponzi scheme of Lebanon, people are looking for any kind of profit and they're vulnerable. And that's kind of scary. And that's one of the purposes we have Bitcoin Dulibon and all the Bitcoin community in Lebanon to try our best to raise awareness and talk to people, talk them out of it, at least read, don't put all your money into one basket, just forget about it and, and learn more uh, the value of money. And unfortunately, we lost over 95 or 98% of our purchasing power and the money we have in banks or we had in banks. But this doesn't mean that we should get scammed again once more. 
Okay. Tell us about the mega, mega Ponzi, the bank sector that imploded. I'll give the speaker to Sully. Man. Okay. So I just I just like to listen to you. That's why. Like simply as that. You just went more, way more eloquent to history of Lebanon and, and, and money when it comes to Lebanon. Thanks, man. To keep it short, basically, we spoke about 1990 peg, uh, the Lebanese pound to the dollar. So what happened is that um, there was this peg decision, but it was not only the peg alone. There was a decision called, uh, like they created something called the Lebanese banking secrecy in 1993, if I'm not mistaken. And that was the alternative of having a bank account in Switzerland back in the day when you could have a secret bank account in Switzerland. That was the same. So which means no court, no judge could look into your financial. And now they keep talking about AML and uh, money laundry and all this uh, bullshit uh, KYC. Back then, the whole banking system was encouraging that, and they orchestrated that. So the bon- the Ponzi started then. Okay, back then, when because of that Ponzi, Lebanon Central Bank was able to attract and absorb and pile up a huge reserve um, of foreign currency. So you have foreign investment coming in from all over the world to Lebanon, especially from the Arab world and uh, Saudi and the Gulf, uh, into Lebanon. This is part of building the reserves. That was very healthy for the economy, etc. And that kind of uh, protected the peg to a certain extent. Now, in parallel, because of the these warlords changed their costume and they started running the country, they were like also calling for uh, funding and donations from Europe, from the States, from other Arab countries to build the infrastructure, okay? So regardless of the intention, if it was good or bad, they did attract funding in billions of dollars back then. That accumulation of foreign reserves was humongous. Now, what happened with this money is the issue. The issue is that no real productive impact really resulted from all this. The infrastructure is still as poor. The public sector, when it comes to services, is disastrous. And that married with corruption due to the ruling, um, let's say, system and mechanism that was running a war and now is running a country. You can imagine how efficient and transparent and democratic and all the bullshit. It's not. So by that point, and due to all the security issues and the security incidents, the trust in the Lebanese economy by the foreign investors started to go down in the sense where you don't have foreign investors really buying much real estate as they use, they started to do before because they started knowing that they're not getting the return they were promised. And to give you a similar example, like uh, Saeed was talking about the tourism, like the tourists that used to come to Lebanon, like let's say uh, just after the civil war, etc., like late 90s, early 2000s, they used to come to Lebanon the some Lebanese really took advantage of these tourists in the sense where they scammed them a lot just to they knew they were like Saudis coming and they were really scamming them. So the, this part of the tourists stopped coming. The same wealthy uh, investors stopped investing and the same donors, uh, if you're talking from the European Commission or you're talking from uh, the USAID or if you're talking about the Kuwaiti fund, for example, they all invested billions of dollars, and they haven't seen any return on their donations. Projects unfinished, uh, promises not kept. And that led to 2019 and a default in paying the euro bonds. So 
there was, I don't know the accurate amount, but the Lebanon defaulted and paying the Euro bonds interest in 2019. That was the first default from the banking sector to the Euro. That had an implication on the credit scoring of the country. So every, just like every individual has a credit scoring with the bank, every bank has a credit scoring with the Fed, every country has a credit scoring around the world for foreign investment. And to what happened, like for due to all these negative results for 30 years plus, um, the credit scoring became super low. Uh, and that's without talking about the complex geopolitical situation Lebanon is in. One of the ministers, uh, first off, uh, the which is really funny. Uh, I was in Belgium. I was in an event where the governor of Central Bank came to meet with the Lebanese diaspora and said, just out of the blue, that the Lebanese pound is in a great shape, just like Powell's and the Powell and the rest of the the Fed people and the states are saying that the USD is in the best shape. Riyad Salemi said the same. He started meeting with different diasporas around the world and just to show confidence about the Lebanese lira. Just because, just Marco said, uh, mentioned, we have like 14 million plus Lebanese outside Lebanon. This diaspora keeps sending remittances to their families in Lebanon and the Lebanese economy relies a lot on the remittances. By doing so, a few months after that and after the default, a minister comes on TV and just proposing a tax on WhatsApp. So he wanted to tax every Lebanese having WhatsApp for, with $6. By that proposal, within 24 hours, you had thousands of people on the street. And this is where everything started. Everything started and like it was like really, there's a French expression that means like it's, it was the last drop of water that really made the bucket overflow. Since October 17, if I'm not mistaken, or 19, to 10, to, uh, 2019, it's been really uh, free-falling. Uh, the Lebanese pound uh, was, in October 2019, um, 1,500 liras to the dollar. Today is, sorry, 104,000. I don't know, guys, the latest. But you can imagine, things haven't stopped. Many of the Lebanese I know think that we reached rock bottom, but... Us Bitcoiners know that it's not the case, especially that the economy in Lebanon is not relying on any productive sector. Uh, Lucas, we did the, we did the fest about, uh, about Angola and I was sharing the inflation problems in Angola, but Angola, Venezuela and other rich countries, when you have productive sectors like oil and gas or like minerals, etc., Lebanon doesn't have any. And this is why the situation of Lebanon is much worse than any other country like the Venezuela, etc., has the oil, uh, even Mozambique has the diamonds and the minerals. But Lebanon has the brain and we have a drainage of the Lebanese brain and it's accelerating, unfortunately. Yeah, there's something I would like to add on, on, on the Ponzi scheme. Basically, just to put uh, numbers to, to what would happen, Lebanon lost or Lebanese people lost around $180 billion in the Ponzi scheme that happened. The way I put it usually is that our central bank printed dollars and it happened through Lebanese lira. Why? Because they were able to freely exchange between the Lebanese lira and the dollar, which is actually uncovered. They were able to provide even up to 15% interest rate in the bank just to freeze it to two or three years in the bank. So imagine having $100,000 or $200,000 in your bank. All you have to do is convert it to Lebanese lira. And you could simply live 
of the interest rate and you'd be really, really happy person. And that was one of the aims that happened. I mean, that was one of my, my personal aim in like five, six years ago. The idea was to just to get some money, put it in bank and live off the interest rate. We never realized what was going on till it really happened. And as Soli said, <laughs> that last drop that broke the camel's uh, or the straw that broke the camel's back was the WhatsApp tax. The $6 changed everything. The fundamentals were already ready. Everything was set for hyperinflation. We just had this tiny nudge to make it all happen. So basically, what you say is that they were paying out too much dollars and, and eventually went bankrupt. Exactly. Because look, as I mentioned, we, we had a lot of investments since 1997. Even back to 2007 crisis in America, because we are so separated from the financial world and the, the outside. People used to send money to Lebanon to get profits of it and interest rate. Why would they open a business anywhere in the world and risk, risk it? Why can't just park it in Lebanon and have it in the account? Due to the secrecy law, no one will know, no one will take it. But Lebanon took the advantage of the government, took the advantage of that. Instead of being productive, instead of figuring out and using that money to build something, we are a service-based economy, of course, Lebanon. We, we don't have really a lot of resources except the people. And what happened is instead of investing in infrastructure and investing in ourselves, they just kept giving away the money by giving the higher percentage rate uh, to the people and attracting more people into it. So it's a typical Ponzi scheme. And that, that's what, what really happened. Sully? I just wanted to add that um, the Ponzi scheme included a 14% interest rate on the bank account. So if you converted uh, your uh, foreign currency into Lebanese pounds, you would get 14%. This is what Marco was talking about. And, and when you convert and when you get stuck into that Ponzi scheme, you can't withdraw easily from the bank because you have commitments to the bank to that Ponzi scheme, basically, which is a shame. Like a lot of the people who were aware that the situation wasn't really great. They were like still tempted. Yeah, but if I break now, if I withdraw my money, I'm going to lose all what I've been saving with the, and the 14% is like the most amazing return on investment you can get from any business. People still don't believe that. They think it's personal. They think it's only political. They don't understand it's uh, the whole fiat system we're living in around the world. And, uh... and, and just to add something, uh, something that is kind of incredible. In Lebanon, we have two types of dollars in the bank. One is called fresh, and well, the other one is called lolar, which is the Lebanese dollar. It, it's kind of, it might sound really crazy, and I can see that Lebanese people are just like, you know, sending right now icons. It, it's, it's hilarious because the Lebanese dollar is, is the dollar pre-2007, 2019, meaning that dollar doesn't exist except on the ledger of the bank. You cannot withdraw it anymore. You can only withdraw it at a certain conversion rate, which is much, much, much lower than the official rate. You'll be losing around 95% of the value. But why this happened? That money, that dollar existing up to 2019 doesn't really exist, has no cover whatsoever. So the banks came up with this amazing, great new scam of creating a fresh dollar accounts. Now you can deposit and you know uh, withdraw freely, as not, not as much as you want, but... You can withdraw up to $1,000 or $2,000, depends on the bank, of fresh money, but you have to deposit it or get wired from outside after 2019. The lawler. I mean, I mean to, be, to be fair, our uh, governor, the central bank governor, is a decorated ex-Marylandish banker 
by Wall Street and the Fed. So the guy is really a master at Ponzi scheme. And this is mind blowing. He actually won rewards like a year before the best banker in the world. Oh my God, the Lola! I just can't stop laughing in my. In my yeah, head. it's the Lebanese dollar, Lola. <laughs> it's a lol, lol symbol currency. Okay, <laughs> so uh, we have a Lebanese maxi that came up. He wanted to share how he was uh, trying to orange pill some university in Lebanon back in 2014. Uh, Nicholas, please uh, go ahead. Uh, so hi, everyone. Um, thank you for organizing this and thank you for letting me speak. I'm very happy to see that there's actually a Bitcoin community in Lebanon. So I'm a PhD student right now doing cryptography and distributed systems at BU. And I'm going to tell you a story back in uh, 2014 when I was a CS student at the American University of Beirut. Back then, uh, some of my friends were mining Bitcoin uh, at some of the computer labs at AUB. And there were demonstrations all around campus because of the tuition increase. And so, like, you know, it comes very obvious to us, like, okay, um, AUB has a lot of computers. Why don't we mine Bitcoin? Why doesn't the university buy Bitcoin? And then it doesn't have to increase the tuition over everyone. And back then, in 2014, you could mine Bitcoin on regular machines. You could, you could still do it. Some of my friends were doing it. And, like, all the computers at night were still on at AUB. So I'm like, okay. So I sent an email to the university president at the time, Peter Dorman. I'm like, hey, you know, we can, you know, all these computers that we have at night sitting there consuming electricity for nothing. How about we put Linux on them and we can mine Bitcoin on them? And at, this, at, at the time, like, he didn't know what Bitcoin was. And so he laughed. But, but he, still, he still, like, put me in contact with the IT and everybody was very excited. And we were like, um, but then it fell through because I went through the bureaucracy of bureaucracy stuff. Um, and it, it didn't work, but it, it was a cool thing. Like people did know about Bitcoin early on in Lebanon. Some of them were mining it. I personally, in 2017, tried to convince people, in 2018, tried to convince people to move their money into Bitcoin when there was high interest rates. And it was like, I tried to convince my mother, who used to work in the central bank, I couldn't do it. She thought I was insane. But then it fell through uh, and like there was a like, capital control. People couldn't get their money out. And um, so they couldn't buy Bitcoin. I reached out to a few people. They were like, OK, we'll take a check from you. But you have to lose like 60 percent of the value, or 70 percent of the value. And, and honestly, like I didn't feel it was safe to send my parents to go and meet with random people, like with huge checks to get Bitcoin. Like maybe they go there and like somebody with a gun, you know, meet them there. Like, uh, I don't know. So their money were still in the bank. and. Unfortunately, like everyone else, uh, they did still suffer, although they did know about Bitcoin. And it's also very hard to convince people to, to buy Bitcoin back then. People didn't understand it. And, and still to this day, they still don't understand it. So it's going to take a while. But I think I think we're going there. Like just the fact that we have now a Bitcoin community in Lebanon, that, that, that that's amazing. Thank you again. Thank you, Nicholas. Please stay up. You're very welcome to stay on. Suli. I just want to ask uh, Nicola Ahlan. I just want to ask you if you're part of the of our group on Telegram. Um, no, I'm not part of any group. Okay, please. If you don't mind, just check it out because it, you, you seem surprised with the gathering we're having, and it's, you're more than welcome to join in. If you just to guide you through it, if you go to any browser, go to bitcoinjudibao.org. And you go to communities and you just uh, join the community from there. Just check it out. And it would be great to have you. Thank you. Wow. Yeah, I, I just dropped you a DM on private to directly to our uh, Telegram group. You're welcome. 
I just added Nicholas as well to our chat group for the space. So you can chat there as well. And to me, it's quite interesting listening to the story of how people going into a hyperinflation just ignore uh, Bitcoin. We're looking back at Lebanon and thinking, oh, it's so obvious. Uh, the fact is that we're at the global level in the situation maybe that is very similar. Let, let me just add something when it comes to Lebanese people. We've been excluded from the financial system since 2017. We don't have the PayPal. We don't have Emto. We don't have any kind of application that allows us to invest like in stocks. Uh, and probably you can find it like through uh, banks, but it's not that easy. It's not like a Robinhood application that you just can launch and start buying whatever you want. Uh, you want. So this kind of drove the Lebanese people into a tangible asset. So the tendency in Lebanon is that people are buying gold, land, and, and real estate. And soon Bitcoin. So with this amazing rundown of Bitcoin history and the mega Ponzi that was the central banking and banking system in Lebanon, let's uh, move on to current day to Bitcoin and what's happening in Bitcoin in Lebanon today. But first, before we do that, we have a song. And the song is called Return to Build Lebanon by Zaki Zasif, a classic Lebanese patriotic song that encourages Lebanese people to return to their country and contribute to its development and prosperity. Its lyrics express a deep love for the country and a desire to protect its beauty and culture. Composed and performed by Zaki Nasif, one of the most influential musicians in Lebanon's history. Nasif was known for his ability to fuse traditional Lebanese music with modern Western styles and his songs often addressed political and social issues. The song has become an enduring symbol of Lebanese identity and resilience, and it is still played at cultural and political events in Lebanon and among the Lebanese diaspora. The song's message of unity and hope resonates with people around the world and who have experienced conflict and displacement. And this was comment by the Nassar uh, Saif. And let's listen to this song. anything i can add my ass is shaking sitting on the chair my ass is moving. Whoop, whoop. 
it, it makes you want to dance definitely very much and you feel like the upper body as well like that that like... we should teach you the Lebanese dabke <laughs> yeah when i come there i will dance with you guys okay so let's talk about bitcoin today i'd like to start with uh, said tell us about your escape room yes uh, do you know what is uh, an escape room usually generally i know but tell the audience Okay. Uh, usually, the escape room is uh, a game where you should enter a room and solve riddles. You you will find some clues. You have to solve some riddles in the order to exit the room. You will find in the end a key or a lock so you can exit the room. And I came up with this idea about a grandfather who bought Bitcoin uh, back in 2011 when Bitcoin was for one cent. So he bought ten thousand Bitcoins for one hundred dollars. And now they are worth uh, almost $280 million. And uh, suddenly he died. All his grandchildren don't know where he put his Bitcoin. And they don't know even what is Bitcoin. They just heard Bitcoin, uh, uh, currency, money, digital. They don't know what it really is. And uh, they don't know where their grandparents uh, parent put his bitcoins but uh, he left for them a death well where he hinted to a 24 words password they should found in his bedroom and uh, this 24 words is the private key for his wallet for his bitcoin wallet so this is the escape game basically they should enter the bedroom of their grandfather and find the passwords so they could uh, access his Bitcoin wallet and exit the room. For my surprise, when I did it, I expected a lot of Bitcoiners to come to the escape game because Lebanese situation and a lot of my family, my friends, started hearing about Bitcoin and in and saving in Bitcoin and all of these stuffs. But uh, to my surprise, I I discovered that you are too early, even in Lebanon. Even with the crisis that we have, uh, not very much of Bitcoiners came. They are mostly uh, escape room enthusiasts who came to play the game. And I was happy that they discovered Bitcoin, that they introduced themselves to Bitcoin. It was nice. Until now, uh, we have almost uh, 700 players who tried the game. Awesome. Tell us more. I I'm... I will tell you some something. I, I don't want to spoil it because I really like you, Lucas, when you come to Lebanon to try it yourself with your friends. But I will just tell one, one game inside it. Uh, inside the room, there is a phone, an old phone, and it will ring suddenly. And when the players, they will answer it, a question will, will, will they will hear a question, which is, what is bake backing fiat currencies like dollar and euro? And you can imagine that all the answers are always the same, which is gold. They all think that we are still on the gold standards until now. And they think that all the, the dollars and the euros in the world are still backed by gold. So, of course... Except, except when you get Bitcoiners coming to your game. Yeah, except when you get Bitcoins and they know the real answer. So, if they answered wrong, of course, we will tell them that it's wrong. And they should uh, check the papers. Inside the papers, there is this info that it's uh, that dollar is backed by trust and uh, faith in governments, not more. When did you start this? Uh, I started in May uh, almost uh, one year ago. Okay. 
And you know what struck me when I heard about what you do from Marco was that wow, this is this is a concept that you should be able to export. It should be attractive to escape room enthusiasts in general, but maybe in other jurisdictions it could be like a concept. I heard that escape room concepts can actually be sold. Uh, so there's basically people that buy yes, it. Uh, um, yeah, I'm, I'm willing to sell it for free for whoever likes to do it every other place in the world. Uh, it was uh, basically meant to share education about Bitcoin and not to make uh, money out of it. So I, I'd like to share it if anyone likes to do a similar one, whatever they like. That's awesome. Maybe solely once he meets my cousin in Belgium, who is an escape room enthusiast that took me to escape rooms in Belgium. Maybe he can get my cousin to build a Bitcoin escape room in Belgium. Yes, let's do it, man. Let's do it. Yeah, that's the target. Said, can you tell us a story of uh, maybe someone that did the escape room that afterwards dug into Bitcoin? Uh, yes, in the end of the escape uh, room, when the players uh, win, they can exit the room. I send them a YouTube video that teaches them how to download uh, a Lightning app and uh, send me a receipt to receive their gift, which is 1,000 sats. We are not as generous as you in, in this podcast. So uh, basically, many people did it and... Uh, Someone who heard about Bitcoin in 2017 and he didn't uh, know how to buy or anything and he forgot it. He got really excited about the idea again after doing the escape game and he asked me how to buy and I helped him to make a uh, Binance account and to buy USDT and then uh, how to export it to, of course, to a hardware wallet called wallet and not keep it on Binance. Basically, it was just one person until now who really made all the effort to really buy Bitcoin. But many ones told me that they are going to buy and they bought, but I don't know if they actually did it or just it was uh, talking. So how has your family reacted to your Bitcoin escapades coming from a gold family? Are you now the outcast of the family? Are you welcome to family dinners or is it? And <laughs> uh, I was good in, in school, in math and this stuff. So people around me, my family, they all uh, take into account my words and what I see is good. So uh, all my family started buying Bitcoin and they are investing in Bitcoin and even my friends. Okay your family are converting into Bitcoin maximalists. What's going to happen to the gold business now when they're all Bitcoiners? Uh, no, the, the gold business is still active. It can help us to keep converting gold to Bitcoin. You know, the fiat or gold or any other asset flow is always needed to keep buying Bitcoin. Yeah, that's true. Have a cash flow so you can just keep stacking sats. Incredible. Yeah, I, I want to add something after the Bitcoin escape room. Me and Soli, Thomas and I, we had the pleasure of visiting the escape room. And it's a great experience. Honestly, with me and Soli and a few other guys, we've been trying to educate people on Spaces, Clubhouse, uh, through Telegram, YouTube, whatever, you name it, trying to meet people online. But what, what Saeed came up with, it's it's brilliant idea because... 
Once you're in the escape room, you don't have to have any knowledge whatsoever about Bitcoin. But Said managed to introduce you in a, such a sneaky way, in a fun way, though. Okay, just to make it clear, fun way. The history of Bitcoin, history of money, uh, Mises, uh, Hayek, all those amazing quotes. You have to go through them and the puzzles. You have to read that stuff. And we've been begging people to read the Bitcoin standard. He actually made people read those parts from the book just by introducing the puzzles, which is, I personally think it's something like amazing, amazing job. So, uh, I mean, I, I have a great appreciation, appreciation of what we came up with, Said, honestly. So this is, this is what I just want to say. Thank you so much, Marco. You're really great. And uh, before doing an escape room about Bitcoin, I had an escape room before. It was uh, called Escape Room the Gemologist. And I was teaching people about diamonds and how to figure out the four C's of diamonds, cuts, karat, and the color and all of this stuff. And after I was uh, become a Bitcoin maximalist, I had the idea of converting my escape game, ending it and convert it to a Bitcoin educational escape room. And I came with this idea of I don't want to put Bitcoin in a bad image that they should uh, stole something or do a criminal thing with it in the escape room. And I came up with the idea of a grandfather who bought Bitcoin and when he did, he take it with him. And uh, but, but he was really smart enough to not really take it with him and just keep traces for his grandchildren to educate them. So when they deserved the Bitcoin, they will earn it from him. So this was uh, basically the idea. Whoop, whoop. Say quick question. Were we the fastest group ever finished the, the escape room? We're curious. Yes, you you were the fastest until when you came. But after you, the, there is another group who finished uh, earlier than you. Actually, it makes me happy, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The next group were Bitcoiners or not? Uh, no, they weren't Bitcoiners. They, they should be by now. Yes, they should be. <laughs> Many people started uh, asking uh, me about uh, money and the history of money because a lot of people take uh, dollar or their currency, they take it for granted and they don't question what is really money. So this is what in the, in the escape room we were trying to point it out. They, they should ask everything, even what is money. Okay, another reason to come to Lebanon. Do you have a website? Uh, no, uh, we have an Instagram page, but we don't spoil it. So we only post the, the picture of the teams that try it. If you want to read about it a little bit, you can search it in Google Maps where you can see the reviews. We have almost 65 reviews that they are all five stars. And one, if I can add, Saeed, by the way, I don't know if you can send to Lucas the, the article that we contributed to. Um, I think Joe Nakamoto wrote it uh, after we visited. We sent him some pictures and there's a really nice article written yes. about it. And then there is uh, another article interviewing Saeed about all this. If you can share that with Lucas, and I'm sure Lucas and the, the fest yes, will, I will, I will share uh, spreading the word. Okay. Yes, please. And also, if you have a tweet, uh, so we can just post it at the top, that would be great. 
Before we move on and listen to the next great Bitcoiner up here, we have another expat Lebanese living uh, that we uh, let up here uh, to ask a question. Uh, also a Bitcoin maxi, apparently. Hey, living. Hey, guys. How's it going? Yeah, so I'm Lebanese. I actually live in the U.S. So I was curious about uh, whoever's in Lebanon, um, what exchanges are available for Lebanese people or do they buy through Bitcoin ATMs? Is it easy for Lebanese folks to buy out there? Just trying to get a sense of the market out there. Yes, it's easier than U.S. You should come here to buy if you want to buy no KYC. We have a lot of offices where you can put fiat money and buy Bitcoin. It's either with offices or with Binance or Qcoin or these sorts of exchanges. So when you say offices, you mean that there's a counter, you go there with a you, with your cash, you hand it over, and they send you the SaaS right away, yes. right? Yes, it's yep, yep, exactly. And you don't even need to go there, by the way. You can just call them, they come to your place wherever you want, and they deliver you the, the Bitcoin. Yes, delivery. Home delivery. Oh, wow. And it's non-KYC when you when you buy through them? Or how, how do you get non-KYC Bitcoin out yes, there? Yes, you can buy non, uh, if you just uh, receive on your uh, Bitcoin address, anonymous Bitcoin address. You can pay cash and they will send you the Bitcoin amount. The, the thing is about Lebanon, just to remind you guys that we are excluded from banking system, not just because of the crisis. Uh, it's, uh, it's an old thing back in 2007 because... Lebanon is partially on an OFAC list. So if you want to open an application like PayPal or any kind of exchange, try to be, um, you know, join the financial uh, system on, on, online, you can't. The only thing that's currently working mainly is few exchanges. One of them is mostly popular is, is Binance. But you still can't buy through Binance Bitcoin. What happens in Lebanon is that you have to use P2P. As the guys mentioned before, we have offices and those are brokers. You meet up with them or you can have delivery, as Soli mentioned, if you trust them, of course, with, with experience. And it's all non-KYC because you're buying P2P. You, you don't have to go through the exchange unless you decide you want to buy USDT and, and deposit on Binance. And of course, for those exchanges, you, you will have to do a KYC. Yeah, that, that's a good point you brought up. And that's kind of why I asked because I know a lot of people have been cut off from the banking system and so on. And what do they only accept U.S. dollars or do they take the Lebanese lira at these places or, or how does it work? We usually just uh, message the guy and meet him up in his office or depends where you are. He can pick it up from your place wherever you are. You, we, the exchange is happening in, in U.S. dollar cash. Uh, most of the brokers don't, do not accept Lebanese lira. And if they do, they, they might spike it like by 5 or 10% due to volatility. The irony in it. <laughs> And the thing is, it's more common to accept USDT, uh, a stablecoin, rather than Bitcoin due to the fees. It's much cheaper and efficient for them to secure their transaction fees because the brokers usually uh, you know, profit from the, from the spread, something around 2 to 3%. In order to secure that, they prefer to do USD, USDT, a peg. Well, if you want the Bitcoin, definitely, you would have to pay a little bit more. And of course, you have to agree with, with the broker that you accept the conditions of volatility of Bitcoin, because sometimes you might want to buy, let's say, $100, but you get $95, let us say, right? And you have to be aware of that just to make it clear between uh, each, like, two of you. So if you feel like, okay, today's the day, 
buy Bitcoin, you message your broker, you have your preferred broker, you're like, hey, bro, what price am I getting today? And they give you a price and then you lock it in and then they come to your home or do you have to wait and be nervous until they arrive to your home? Well, usually uh, it's not about locking in the price. It's that the price is locked at the time of sending. So you can check on Explorers on like, for example, Mempool, and they show you the price of Bitcoin as it was sent at that time. So that's the price is usually taken. Now, what happened is that if you know the guy, like for example, my broker, sometimes I just, you know, I like, let's say I want 50 bucks or hundred bucks, whatever he sends it to me. And I just see him two, three days later. But if you don't know someone, you're not really, uh, you know, on, on, a, on a friendly basis with, with someone, you usually meet up and you wait till you have one or two confirmations. That's why people tend to go for USDT because it's much easier, much faster. You don't have to sit down and wait for any confirmation. And then the person whoever is buying can exchange on Binance for Bitcoin or if you're a degenerate gambler into shitcoins, you just go for shitcoins. Have you ever bought like a, a decent amount or is it, do they set limits on how much you can buy? Also, um, I assume you can also sell Bitcoin to them or no? Yeah, it works both ways. And on both ways, you have a, you have certain fees like 2 to 3% depending on the amount. I, I've seen, I'm not sure, uh, I won't confirm because I don't really deal into selling and buying, but I had feedback of people buying 200, 300, even $400,000 uh, a pop. Oh, wow. Okay. So they do deal with large amounts. Thank you very much, Living. And I would like to ask Cryptonator guy, is there a uh, Bitcoin gaming community in Lebanon? Uh, do you know other Bitcoin gamers? Well, sadly, I'm a little bit on Nicholas' shoes that I didn't know any Bitcoiner here in Lebanon, mostly shitcoiners or brokers. My job was, in my mind, to teach people about Bitcoin, mostly my friends, and maybe grow a little bit, a bigger circle to educate uh, people about uh, Bitcoin. So my method was, guys, download these games and let's play them. And uh, once at uh, a time, you're going to become a Bitcoiner. So that was my method. So I started with my friends. I created a Telegram group called Lebanese Bitcoiners, but um, it didn't grow. So uh, I migrated to WhatsApp and now I have a new group, which is also called Lebanese Bitcoiners. And now it's uh, mostly games and free sat. And also I'm, uh, I'm the official uh, moderator, Discord moderator of Thunder. I write uh, at Satoshi's Journal, so I always share this knowledge to my friends and I didn't know that uh, Marco had uh, Bitcoin du Liban so approximately one week ago I came to, to know him and I joined the group. I have a side project too which is two YouTube channels one in English and one in Lebanese Arabic dedicated to Bitcoin beginners so maybe maybe I can uh, uh, make more Bitcoiners in Lebanon. Let's hope so. <laughs> My heart is smiling. So beautiful. Suli, you, you want to ask a Kryptonator a question? No, I want to just tell him that we have Bitcoin, a Bitcoiner game developer in the community. And uh, his Twitter handle is Ashtaf10. I think uh, yeah, we call him Ash uh, in the, the group. So look him up. And it's definitely a good thing for you guys to connect. Mm, nice. Cool, cool. 
Okay, so you are doing uh, this Bitcoin gaming stuff, and would you say that you have managed to to get a few people uh, transition the way that you did uh, from a Bitcoin game to a Bitcoiner yet, or still working on that? Yes, I was talking to my friends two or three years ago about you know crypto and these sort of stuff. So uh, while I was researching, so I was always talking to them like uh, this is the future, etc. These kind of chats, and they were like, okay, you know, like I'm talking nonsense or uh, that sort of stuff. So. Uh, when I discovered these games, as we all know that the best thing to orange pill someone is to let him do what they do best every day. So the easiest thing is let them play games. While playing games, let them earn sats. The best thing is to thunderize Lebanon. That's my <laughs> my goal, maybe. <laughs> and you've been able to also get a job with Thunder Games. That's what you're doing now, right? Yep, for now, I'm part-timer with with them. I think it's really beautiful how Bitcoin also provides opportunities to people all over the world in all kinds of places. I think this is one of the most underappreciated aspects of Bitcoin, that if you truly become a Bitcoiner, you become part of the family and people just want to bring you on board to different projects. So I think there's quite a lot of Bitcoin jobs all over the place. I've also noticed that it seems like a lot of Bitcoin companies are getting funded. There's a company that just got raised about a million dollars at a, a pretty crazy valuation, a pretty early startup. And to me, it seems like nobody really cares about the, the world falling apart uh, in terms of Bitcoin uh, startup funding. So uh, it seems like there's a lot of opportunity. That was just a side note. Back to you, Kryptonator. You have two YouTube channels, you said, right? Yep, uh, two YouTube channels. I started back in September of last year. Uh, I started with the English one. Now uh, my Arabic uh, YouTube channel is about one month old. I didn't upload any any videos yet, only the introduction. It's uh, as I told you, it is dedicated to Bitcoin uh, beginners. I teach them everything from from zero till I don't know. I started with the English one, and then uh, you know the, the the English content is really big. So I thought to myself, I have to start an Arabic content. That's all be before uh, knowing Marco and, and the team. After a while, when the people here started to break banks and sort of these sort of stuff, I, I saw a lot uh, tweeting about Lebanon. So I was tweeting the hell out of the out of them. So I I saw uh, he's with us right now. He's a listener to the crypto files. Uh, I started to read his tweets. He has awesome t- tweets, so I followed him. And then when I knew about Bitcoin Liban, I saw that he is with us uh, in this group. So I, I saw Bitcoin Amsterdam, let's say, uh, of last year. I had this uh, this this dream. I, I want to do this in Lebanon. So hopefully now with Bitcoin Liban, <laughs> this dream will hopefully come true. Bitcoin love. Ooh, Bitcoin love. Yeah, everyone's talking about Bitcoin de Libon. Let me, let me give you a just introduction to Bitcoin de Libon. The whole concept of Bitcoin de Libon is to basically do exactly 
what we were just talking about is to bring people together. It's not a competition. It's not a challenge. On the country, if someone wants to write, build, create videos, create stories, I'll get you connected. We'll get you connected. All of us will contribute to building one big, huge Bitcoin economy in Lebanon and help educating people to provide them the knowledge for securing themselves and understanding the financial situation that we are living uh, in and hopefully reaching the Bitcoin ethos and understanding what is Bitcoin all about. Tell us more. When did you start? In, in late 2019, November, the, the domain was registered back then. The whole, uh, you see, you see, I joined crypto, as I mentioned, back in 2017. And of course, I was a shitcoiner and I used to moderate shitcoin groups, uh, shitcoins, more shitcoins, a lot of shitcoins. But the thing is, the communities we have uh, in Lebanon, most of them, they're WhatsApp-based. And they were focused on making money and uh, trading and, and really focused on, on simply making money, right? It was never about education. And once I understood Bitcoin in, in early 2019 and I fell down the rabbit hole and the whole crisis struck us, I knew that we needed a platform or a place where the right knowledge, the right uh, content can be delivered to Lebanese people. That was the idea, to create a safe space without all the beautiful marketing schemes and you know shit coins and no trading, no price predictions, just pure knowledge. And that's our mission. So whoever is in the group, we might sound a bit rough, uh, like you know we're kind of discouraging and 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 you know trying to limit the conversations about shit coins. Unless you have a healthy debate, you're more than welcome. But if you're coming here and trading. and trading, yeah, if if you want to just have a healthy conversation about education, go ahead. We can spend hours talking and discussing different stuff, and even shit coins if you want to. Um, we're fine with that. But if you're coming to promote and and to 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 hire people into buying stuff, no, forget about it. You just probably get either muted or banned. Simply as that. The, the reason is that we need to be focused, and this is what really matters. We might sound closed-minded, but that's what all Bitcoin uh, Max and toxic, toxic Max seemed like at the beginning, just like it would happen with me and 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 uh, and Sefeddin. <laughs> Basically, he he you know he outed at me back then on the message. But anyway, the point is. Uh, that was the reason behind Bitcoin de Libon, and and uh, gladly it brought so many people together, and that makes me like really happy. Like Soli and other guys, we we all come together and try to build something better. So I'd like to hear because you told me before the space that you were like the biggest shit corner, and uh, basically it was a huge transition for you. So I'd like to hear that transition from the massive shit corner, Marco to the Bitcoiner, the Bitcoin community builder, Marco. But before we continue and listening uh, to hear your full story and hear about this amazing community you're building, we need to do a commercial break, another song in the middle. And the song is Aishi Wahda Balak by Zaid Rahbani. Zaid Rahbani is a Lebanese composer, musician, and playwright known for his controversial lyrics that touch on politics. Okay, uh, this is Zaid Rahbani. Here we go. Aishi, <laughs> 
حاجة تحكي عن هواك ضحكت علي كل بلد يا اخي عايش وحدة بلاك وبلا حبك يا ولد حاجة تحكي عن هواك ضحكت علي كل بلد Another song that just touched me to the core when I listened to it first time. It is so beautiful. And Marco, how did you turn from uh, this ugly thing into this beautiful uh, Bitcoiner, just like this song? But before that, maybe you could comment on the song because you chose it. Oh God, why, why do you put me on this? Well, I'm the worst Lebanese ever. <laughs> Saeed, sorry guys, can you help me out with that? <laughs> I just like the song that I like. It's okay. It's just a beautiful. Oh, sorry. No, it's it's like every every song in Lebanon uh, that was launched before. It's all about the situation, and it has some underlying, let's say, messages. You can understand it from a love perspective, but you can also understand it from the situation that uh, the country is in. So that's pretty much it. It's the ugly truth we're living. Like people are like tempted uh, in life. But some things just continue continue happening, and it's up to us to really uh, wake up. Just like Marco. Tell us. Yeah, so the, the story behind me being a shitcoiner. I, I, I just said before, I'm pretty much, it's a generic uh, story, which, which I have. In 2017, I joined in the bull run, and I, I figured that Bitcoin is really old, ugly. It's the MySpace of the cryptocurrencies. And of course, instantly I fell in love with XRP. <laughs> yeah, I, I was one of the lucky ones. Even though I, I made money, like I I think I 10x back then, whatever I put. And of course, I kept it for so long that it trashed 95%. Uh, this led me to look for gems. This is what shitcoiners or altcoiners do and they, they think they're looking for kind of gems that are in specific unique use cases and that i fell for the trap and i and i thought this is real i thought that blockchain solves everything and you can tokenize everything every single thing in the world like houses and, and this and those smart contracts whatever you want to call them but the reality is not none of that is real all of that is just one big marketing uh, scheme scam uh of course like I started reading and following Bitcoin Maxis, and literally all the credit goes to Sefedin Amos, which is uh, for the Bitcoin standard. The thing is, my background is as a pharmacist. I have like a degree in the pharmacy, and um, I worked for over 11 years uh, in the pharmaceuticals sales and partial marketing. I, I had no knowledge of the financial system. I had no reason to understand the financial system. It was just by default, just like... What's, we use WhatsApp and everything else, so I didn't really care. But once I read that book, which simplifies the knowledge and the history of money, 
it, it got me so interested and, and hooked all the information. And since then, I've been collecting books and reading and trying to consume as much as possible knowledge. And once I felt confident enough that, that I can deliver those messages, uh, I started educating other people and trying to put them on board to explain uh, to them and, and to tell them my, my own personal journey, how, how, I, how I went through from uh, no understanding of economy to shitcoiner and to a Bitcoin toxic maxi. And how did you then start this community? Why? Well, uh, as I said, in there are a lot of communities in Lebanon. Uh, there are a few decent ones and old ones, even going back to 2013. Uh, but these people, they're, they, they never felt like trying to educate on Bitcoin itself. They were focused more, even though some of them were Bitcoiners, they were focused on technology. They weren't really pure Bitcoiners. And they didn't have incentive or any motivation to deliver that knowledge to other people. And I felt that we need that. that there's, there's an opportunity to, to help people. And I needed to create a space. The, the very first few months of, of Bitcoin Delivery were horrible. I actually shut down the whole website and, and, and uh, for like a month or two because I had a huge backlash on Reddit when I posted on, on uh, Lebanese Reddit. But then I was like, okay, this has to be done. No matter of the backlash and, and the hate I was getting from people, they thought I'm a scammer. They thought I have some kind of incentive that I'm going to profit from people. I'm going to sell them a product. But once I broke through that uh, that idea, I'm not really selling anything. And people were surprised that I'm not trying to sell them bullshit. I'm literally just giving it away the information and that's it. You decide what you want to do with it. The Bitcoin uh, community really lived up and, and I really got to meet a lot of nice people. And and again, I want to reinforce the idea that it's not a competition. I, I would love to have more communities. I would love to have uh, more people joining, sharing information, sharing their content, YouTube, do whatever it takes just to deliver the message, deliver the, message the way you like it. And you mentioned that you met a lot of cool people. So uh, that's the side effect of building a community, I guess. You, you, get, uh, you get to book meetings with really interesting people or they want to book meetings with you. Is that, is that the case? Yeah, yeah. Uh, even like um, this is where, where I got to know Soli better. I think it was about two years ago we, we, we launched together a clubhouse meeting room for Arabic content. And it was really nice because... We met so many great people. They're not with, with us here, but from different Arab countries. And these people now are creating a lot of Arabic content. And this is really flourishing in, in a beautiful way. And this is something like everyone should try to do. Even if you think that you can do it, just give it a try. Don't be shy. Give it a shot. The Bitcoin renaissance in the Middle East coming from Lebanon beautiful. The Paris of the Middle East, I heard that Beirut is called sometimes. And Suli, please, uh, could you share with us what you're doing in, with Bitcoin and Lebanon? Um, I started with Clubhouse uh, two years ago and then got a lot of interest in what we're doing. And then uh, in parallel with that, I have my fiat mining job, which is a very time-consuming but it allowed me to take different advisory jobs with Swan Bitcoin and other companies to uh, orange pill people uh, wherever I go. Like I go to Angola, Sierra Leone, uh, Dubai, Belgium, Lebanon, and wherever you go, everyone is fed up with the system and everyone is fed up with inflation and everyone is like, 
hungry to know how they can make um, their manufacturing more efficient, how they can use power and electricity and energy in a more efficient way, how they can maybe, and even uh, this is how I got to know uh, Lucas, by the way, uh, through Angola, through a Lebanese entrepreneur. There are so, it's the network, network effect of networking and Bitcoin. And what I've been doing is just like contributing to content. And uh, unfortunately, I've been slacking in terms of publishing on the website of the Bitcoin Didibo or uh, BitcoinArabic.org. I've been like start translating some of the pieces been forever, never published, but I need to really get back to it. But yeah, it's like I'm also uh, working with a couple of businesses, not in Lebanon. I can't disclose the location about uh, mining on, on a big scale. So this is also uh, a learning curve for me when it comes to mining. Even though I haven't started mining myself, I was waiting for the miners to get uh, much cheaper. And now is the time. So hopefully soon, very soon this year, I'm going to start mining myself. Okay, this is a lot of uh, different uh, different threads. I'm wondering about your traveling. So when you go to different locations uh, as a, say, ambassador for Swan and Bitcoin, and you're doing your, your job, I guess, you're traveling for other reasons, but then you also take time uh, on your trips to do this uh, orange pilling work. How do you plan those trips? Do you reach out proactively? Do people... How, how does it work? So, yeah, it took some thinking. And then I realized that the easiest, the best, efficient, it turned out to be the, really the, the best thing is to uh, join meetups and to plan meetups wherever I go. So before traveling, I know like every six months ahead, like basically I travel every six weeks for three weeks to different destinations. So I look up meetups and then I go meet people. And it's like, it takes time. It's not like gonna happen from a day to another, but like over the past year, for example, I joined like three, four different communities in four different countries. And in each of these communities, people are just like introducing you to other people. There's, for example, the, uh, an organization called YPO, a young president's organization that uh, the business, my fiat job introduced me to. They wanted me to talk about Bitcoin. So other things like through my own job, for example, uh, last month I was in Angola. My job covers IT and HR. So I was like, okay, let's uh, organize a workshop to see who's interested in learning about the history of money. Basically, one person uh, at work knew that I was involved in Bitcoin and he wanted to learn about it. I was like, okay, can you spread the word among the team to see who wants to attend? And it was like 40 people attending that event, at that workshop or like that session. And from that, so many, like, it's like a domino effect. Um, and it's like Marco said about uh, contribution. It's like you just don't be shy uh, because like, uh, like Nicholas here said, like he was surprised to see there are and like uh, Cryptonator also uh, was uh, surprised to see there is a Lebanese community. That was a Lebanese community of Bitcoiners. That's the story of almost every single Bitcoiner. We all knew that we all thought we were alone in this world, right? But we're not. And thanks to spaces and uh, online communities as a whole, just put yourself out there. If you're looking for a job, really just connect, stay a, a Bitcoin purist and opportunities will open for you. So that's really pretty, it's, it's an easy thing. It just requires a lot of dedication and a, a low time preference kind of uh, mindset.
When Marco was talking about how he met interesting people through his orange pilling journey and building the community, you you made 100%. And I got the impression that you have similar experiences with just meeting really interesting people. Could you share some examples? You don't have to say names and so on, of course. I mean, more like paint the picture. Sure. At work, we're into the FMCG manufacturing and distribution kind of supply chain. Uh, I get introduced to different stakeholders, different companies that produce, that have manufacturing facilities and different uh, lines. And when you think of manufacturing, you think of energy. If you understand energy, you understand there's a surplus of energy. And every business owner wants to be efficient at what they do. And when you explain to them that, okay, how much are you paying for electricity? And you realize that they can make a huge profit from the lowest prices of Bitcoin. Then it's like the bulbs go on and everyone is interested to know how can they make money? How they can be profitable? How can they add a profit to their balance sheets, to their PLs in tough times and economic crises, et cetera. And that opens the vector of like really attracting people to Bitcoin. That's from an institutional kind of adoption. But with every institution, there is a, a network effect. Like when the owner of the business is adopting Bitcoin, the employees are understanding what is Bitcoin. And then you, they ask you to talk about that from a, like there is one, one company and, and Swan is doing like, Swan Bitcoin is doing like this uh, benefits program, like a pension plan. Like from an HR perspective, if a company is interested in offering a pension plan for their employees, they can now offer it through Bitcoin. And there are a lot of institutions in the world that are offering that. And employees are like getting more and more interested in that, especially in countries where currency is really devaluing uh, day by day sometimes. Thank you for painting the picture. And so uh, we have, of course, always there's always another song remember music music beautiful music lebanese music i love the selections that you guys have done for this space the next song is called ballad by yasmin hamdan yasmin's music is known for its haunting melodies intricate rhythms and powerful lyrics that often touch on themes of love loss and social justice her melodies touch Souls. This is a song selected by Suli. to the security situation translation of the uh, refrain here and this lady walking on the highway and the cars are standing still and she kicks the back of a car and just like a lot of guns are falling out it's pretty dramatic Suli, you want to add anything 
No, that's pretty much the picture and the lyrics you heard is about a suffocating, a suffocated uh, citizen of the situation with the security and safety situation that goes, uh, that makes things much worse for citizens. And with that, let's do a roundup session. I'll hand the word to you first, Suli, just in case your phone dies. Uh, thanks, Lucas. Thanks, everyone. And I highly encourage everyone to check the Bitcoin to Liban group because it's not only in Arabic. We speak mostly in English, believe it or not, just to explain things and content. And uh, from there, you can really network with a lot of Bitcoiners uh, that are in Lebanon, outside Lebanon. We have people like working within the Bitcoin space outside Lebanon as well. So it would be cool. And thanks again. Thank you, Suli. Thanks for joining. Super nice to do another space with you. The Angola one was awesome. The Lebanon one, also super awesome. So nice to see you again, Suli. And hope to see you in Belgium. Orange pilling my cousin. That that has to happen. Hey, Nicolas, you jumped up as a guest that wasn't pre-invited, but you had some interesting questions, and especially your story about the university. So please, um, could you also share some thoughts from this space? Would be great. Um, I was, I'm just going to say that it's really cool that we have uh, Lebanese people working on Bitcoin. And it would be uh, very nice if we can work on spreading Bitcoin adoption in Lebanon, especially because we are in need of it. Like the banking system collapsed and we, we need something to build the economy upon. You know, we, we need to be like the second El Salvador in any way. I think like we need to unite and push for Bitcoin adoption in Lebanon as a political goal it will save lebanon in, in a way because right now like i don't think there exists a lebanese person that trusts lebanese banks and what they call lollars everything is a lawler at the end of the day you know what prevents them from saying oh you know what the dollars that you have now that are called fresh are going to be lollars in the future like we we have no there's people don't trust it any uh, anymore businesses don't trust it anymore everything is cash based and i think this is where bitcoin should push through and I think it's up to us to push it through. I love it. Nicolas, beautiful words. And I'm sure the guys here can help channel some of your energy. Suli. Uh, I just want to add one thing that Nicolas made me think of and triggered the thought in my mind is that what we have in Lebanon is like two currencies for the USD. We have the Lolar, which is like the frozen accounts of USD in the, in the, at the banks. And now we have the fresh dollars accounts, which is much more expensive and less practical for everyone. And this is exactly the world heading towards. Like the fiat money printed notes from the government, the fiat printed notes are the Lolar. And the CBDCs coming are the fresh dollars. And the only way out, we all know what it is. Okay. And um, Cryptonator. I want to thank you for this lovely uh, Twitter space. I'm really happy that I got to know really cool Lebanese people. I really want to meet them personally and maybe build something cool for Lebanon. Purely Lebanese, maybe, that will help us here. Let's see what what the future may hold. Thank you so much. Oh, Nicholas. I think one cool thing like we should work on is remittances. I know there's a lot of Lebanese people all around the world that do want to send money to their families. And right now they're paying like an enormous amount of fees. Even if they use um, USDT on Ethereum, like the fees are really high. 
and I think we should we should focus more on Bitcoin based cryptocurrencies. If people if people want want USDT, like we know how to do it over over the Lightning Network. We know how to send USDT over the Lightning Network, like the Taro project. And I'm I'm really curious, like why don't people use that instead of like using all these other and it's it's even quicker than than most other chains and you don't need to have to wait for all these confirmation if you're using the lightning network and i don't see why people in lebanon are not adopting the lightning network maybe it's because of electricity i don't know um whoop, whoop. okay and um saeed uh, yes thank you a lot of uh, for this uh, opportunity to to share and with you all and learn from you about bitcoin and uh, i think like nicholas that uh, we should uh, encourage more people about uh, lightning network uh, i tried in the escape room to send for every player who wins the game to send them a youtube video and to download a lightning wallet but it's uh, custodial and it's not they are not really opening a channel and all of this stuff, they are just uh, using an application uh, in Lightning and to send and receive uh, SAT. So basically, people are still not very familiar with Lightning Network. Uh, a lot of people into crypto and they didn't even uh, heard about it until now. I think it's our duty to, to share it and to make a real application uh, on it uh, and try to introduce it to, to Lebanese businesses and to so they they really uh, they really use it in their uh, daily transactions. Whoop whoop whoop! Thank you very much, Said. Super excited to come and do an escape room in Lebanon. And yes, we cannot for... wait for you and to introduce you to Lebanon to show you the beauty of Lebanon and to, to and so the, that you play the game too. It made me so intrigued. Thank you. I yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> Have to come, Marco. Last but not least, thank you so much for bringing everybody here. Uh, I'm so happy about this space, and uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you before as well, preparing for this space. You've been an amazing co-host. Uh, please go ahead. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed the space, and uh, I hope I hope like Lebanese, like Nicolas, and others. Uh, who are listening will join our our groups and con contact us so we can build something all together now just to touch on an issue why people are not using lightning network they're not even using bitcoin right now and as i mentioned earlier for those who weren't uh, listening or you weren't tuned in yet the thing is we are still i think kind of early to the concept of digitalization when it comes to lebanon we are pretty much a cash economy and everyone are focused on gold, land, and assets like real estate. We never been exposed to to digitalization. So, like I mentioned before, PayPal, Vemton, all this kind of application, the online cloud banking never really existed. So, I think that unfortunately we need more pain. However, there are banks or applications that are popping out right now, and people are realizing that digital wallets. I mean, even if they're fiat wallets, it's something that's coming. And I think this is gonna be this is gonna be a gateway for us to start introducing Bitcoin and Lightning Network to give them confidence. And I absolutely agree with you, Nicolas, that that sending money from abroad is is the thing. It should be the thing. We should be using a sort of you know Taro-like application, maybe even stable sets, because people don't like volatility, of course. And 
we don't like big coins, stable coins. But the thing is, diaspora will make a difference. But first, we have to, you know, break through that idea that digital is not tangible because it is, and Bitcoin is the best asset known to human being. Bada boom boom. Okay, I've enjoyed this space uh, deeply. I've learned a lot. It's uh, been everything I was hoping that it would be. Um, I've been so curious about Lebanon for a long time. Now I'm just dying to come. I was already eager, but now I'm dying to come and visit. And it's super clear to me that there's a booming Bitcoin uh, community uh, absolutely taking off. And uh, it's a an amazing community leadership. I'm so happy to see that you guys met each other uh, now through uh, the uh, space that we did here with Cryptonator and uh, Sulimarco. It's a uh, community builders coming together as well in our space, which is exactly what we're about. And Nicolas finding his way as well here and uh, hopefully doing something after. I've actually heard stories uh, recently about uh, people doing these spaces together with us. And then afterwards, a lot of things happening in the community as, uh, say, follow-on consequences. Uh, I just heard the guy running the Bob space uh, in Thailand told me uh, stories about them coming together, doing stuff. Also, Piria said the same thing for Thailand community. So we're very happy when this stuff happens. That's what we're all about. Global Bitcoin Fest, we love to hear plebs in uh, different communities around the world tell their stories and just talk about their country and their culture and everything around it so that we when we come and visit or when we want to come and visit we know who to contact we know uh, what to do and uh, yeah that's it that's what we're all about global bitcoin fest once a week and uh, one country every week until we've done all the countries then we don't know what we do but uh, we also do a social space from time to time where it's not as formal as this uh, anybody can come up and hang out with us and uh, usually they are very content rich some of the breaking news come there even though those spaces are much smaller and uh you're welcome to just come and hang with us, guys. Um, you're included in the family now. If you are curious who's a good Bitcoin maxi in a country, you can just check who our Twitter handle, Global Bitcoin Fest, is following because we're only following verified maxis and they get verified through these spaces where we hear their stories and we know, okay, this is a real Bitcoiner. You know, you're safe here. They're not going to show you some strange stuff. And with that, we have one last part and it's very simple. Guys, if everybody can unmute their mic, and what we're gonna do now is that we're gonna say goodbye together, and it's supposed to be chaotic, so I want everybody to be unmuted at the same time, and we say goodbye. How do you say goodbye in Lebanese? We actually say goodbye. <laughs> bye, yeah! It's bye. English! <laughs> bye, everyone! Bye. Just bye, everyone! Bye! bye. 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 <laughs> thank you so much. Bye, thank you. We have one last song, the goodbye song, Yam Watani by Marcel Khalife. Marcel Khalife, another very famous Lebanese artist. I'm personally named after him. True story. Smiley, smiley, smiley. Marco. And here we go. <laughs>
Celebrate Bitcoin adoption with Bitcoin communities worldwide. 